Uh, I would say three things. One is, you know, work hard. Second is be persistent, right? Uh, third is do things differently from others, right? Um, mm. A lot of times people want to just do like what everybody else is doing. Um, and that's just going to put you on a normal, normal category, right? But, you know, if you look at things like, you know, where you do things differently from everyone else, uh, that makes you, you know, different from everyone else. And there's a better chance of you breaking out uh, to reach your goal. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several uh, startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks and everything else related to their business. And if you ever need help with uh, anything, feel free to reach out to us at strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, James and Ken, or Candice Samia. Yes, Candice Sammy. Candice Sammy. I was close. Yeah. Um, and close. Uh, James uh, originally uh, was from Malaysia, went to, I think, went to college in Malaysia, got a double E degree, um, did a few startup jobs in college, and then moved from Malaysia to the U.S. And uh, in the U.S. was on some, I think, temporary assignment, went back to Malaysia after a period of time, then came back to the U.S. and went, uh, and went to Austin, Texas, and did a full-time gig, I think worked in the semiconductor industry. Mm-hmm. Um, for quite a while and then uh, got or I think went back to Malaysia if I remember and got an MBA and then did a few kind of software startups did some uh, side hustles and nighttime gigs and getting <laughs> it all up and going and then got into real estate and been doing that for the last several years or last few years and uh, raising money with private investors and whatnot so with that much as a introduction and uh, introduction welcome on the podcast James absolutely happy to be here Devin so I gave the kind of 30-second quick run-through of, uh, of your journey, but let's start to go back. Tell us a little bit about being in Malaysia, going to college there, and getting your double E, and we'll pick up on your journey from there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I was born and raised in Malaysia, right? So I did all my entire education over there, except for my MBA, which I did, you know, somewhat with the, in Australia, right, with the mm. University of Adelaide as well. Then uh, came to the U.S. on a on a manager visa, which is called an L1 visa for a company here, you know, there was a need, mm. it was an intercompany transition. And um, when I came here, you know, um, I mean, I was, always, I was already coming here a few times before that on a relocation. So I really like, you know, some cities and, and the U.S. in general, right? So um, before you now, before here. you came into the U.S., you you graduated with a double E degree in Malaysia, and I yep. think you mentioned that you worked a few startup jobs while you're in college, kind of as you're getting the double. De- yeah, double yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, startup. Yes, while I, even I was doing degree, I was trying to do. You know, I was selling shirts, <laughs> buy you know buy for what ten dollars and sell for like you know three dollar each or something. I mean, not three dollar each, maybe less, maybe. Maybe more than that, but I can't remember. But I was selling shirts. I was trying to do my, um, you know, some kind of physics work workbook uh, while you know while during summer break uh, in college and trying to sell that. But everybody was enjoying summer break. I was like spending my summer break uh, writing a call, a physics workbook, you know, to sell. Mm. I did pretty well. I mean, I did make money, you know, but of course nothing big. Like, uh, you know, but it does make you know four uh, x five x income than uh, what I was doing. I always like, always like to do something to make money, but I never understood the entrepreneur spirits inside me until mm. recently, right? Uh, because uh, even when I was working, uh, 
uh, on, a, on a big large semiconductor company while even in Malaysia. Uh, I didn't do much um, startup while working because I was so busy working. Right? But when I came to the US, Hmm. Starting to do a software startup here, you know, some web page and uh, now one quick question. So you come to the US, was that because you found a job opportunity? You wanted to come to the US? I wa- yeah, I wanted to come and I had a job opportunity as well, which is an intercompany transition, right? So I, hmm. I definitely wanted to come here. I, I wanted to go to uh I had a few options going to Australia, going to Canada, going to the US, right? So hmm. I had all PRs lined up, but I ended up coming to the US. Uh yeah, I really want to come here because of the you know how uh, capitalism works here, right? And um, so now walk me through that. Did you did you apply to the job in the US and then once you get accepted, you get the, the green card and is that kind of how you came in? Yes, or, yes, did... correct, correct. But mm. but the thing is, I didn't apply. So this was intercompany, right? So basically I was in a, I was mm. in a company where I had a, a headquarters in the US and I was in Malaysia. Mm. And, um, you know, I was deciding to leave the country to some other country. So the option I gave to the current companies and either I go to the US or I go out of the country, right? Mm. Because I had, I had, I really wanted to get out to another country at that time uh, just to change my life, right? Uh, there are certain limitations in Malaysia in terms of growing and, you know, how capitalism works compared to, you know, can, other countries, right? So I really want to get out. So I had a few options like Canada and Australia. Mm. And, uh, you know, usually the current company doesn't allow me to come within the because then everybody will start leaving from you know from low cost mm. geo to a high cost geo right so um but i think uh i made the case you know that my skills are needed at the headquarters here mm. and they definitely had a problem here there was a big problem in one department in which they thought that they can use my skill so it was a mutual understanding that i'm going to come to the us uh, on a visa or within the company so it's the same company but i came on a visa now and one and i, I know i've or interrupting, but just have yeah, a sure, absolutely. Go ahead. Questions. Now, when you started with that company, was it the idea, hey, I want to go foreign, I want to go to the U.S. or Australia, other places, and so that's why you sought out that job originally in Malaysia, or was it just, hey, I'm working for this company, I see this opportunity, why not go for it? Kind of which order was that? Well, I was already in Malaysia, and I was deciding to leave the country, right? So, but I thought, okay, why not I move to the U.S. within the same company, right? Uh, the company in Malaysia, they don't really support it. They're very against it because, as I said, they do not want like everybody moving from this satellite uh, city, mm. satellite company to this headquarters because that's the reason why they created all the satellite, uh, you know, um, offices, right, all over the nation, right? These large mm. companies, they set up, you know, in a lower cost uh, geography, you know, to reduce uh, labor costs, right? And, and also to ease manufacturing and also as well. Mm. So, but the thing is, you know, I had an option, right? Either I leave or I come through the company to the headquarters. So finally, the company was gracious enough to allow me to come within the company to come to the headquarters, right? And, and they had a, definitely, there's a need because there was a, a job that need my skill and I wanted to come as well. Hmm. Okay, so no, that makes perfect sense. So you decide, okay, you've got this opportunity coming to the U.S. think it'll be a great experience. You convince mm-hmm. a company, you come mm-hmm. to the U.S., you work for a period of time. Now, how long were you with that company? How long did you work in the U.S.? Because I think eventually you went back to Malaysia after a period of time, right? Uh, no, no, I did not go back after that. I mean, in the beginning when I was okay. relocating back and forth, I was going like three or four times. But uh, once I okay. came here permanently, I, I was here permanently. So, so I've been here almost like 11 years right now in the U.S., 
So, so now you come to the U.S., you work for the Malaysian company, and how long did that last and kind of what it, or where well, did you go to from there? Yeah, it's not really a Malaysian company. It's a U.S. company, but they had a base in Malaysia. In Malaysia. Mm. So, so it is a U.S. company. Uh, I was there for almost two and a half years, mm. right? So, I, yeah, I got my green card within four months because, you know, I, I came on a special visa, mm. uh, which is called a manager visa, and I'm a Malaysian. So, our, our visa takes very, very quick. So now after that, you know, after you, you worked there for, you said uh, a couple of years or two and a half mm-hmm. years or so. Mm-hmm. Now, where did you kind of transition from there? Where did you go from there? Kind of how did, what made, what I went to another, another semiconductor company and I worked for seven years there. Mm. And, um, you know, that's where I started, you know, start venturing into different, different uh, businesses, right? Because, mm. um, you know, sometimes working in one job can be very monotonous and can be a pretty boring. I mean, especially, I mean, I can't blame the companies, right? But they can't be doing new products all the time, mm. right? They can do same product, but small tweaks. Same product, small tweaks. Because if they do new product, then they have to test the markets, manufacturing complex, complexity, you know, so they can't do that. So there's a lot of, not a lot of new development that's happening in big companies, right? Unless mm. you are an R&D, even an R&D, you know, a lot of products doesn't really make it to the, uh, to the sales part of it, right? Mm. So... And every time I go for these small, small companies, I like to go into this small, small department, which has a lot of problems because I like to solve any problem. I don't want to work on a, I don't want to go to a department where everything is done, mm. right? Everything is processed and you just go and execute whatever people have created. I like to go and create stuff, create processes, um, you know. No, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, probably with the engineering background and the, you know, and everything else, there is kind of that mentality of, hey, I want to actually grow, build, do something rather than just, hey, everything works fine and now we're just kind of in maintenance mode. There's something yeah. to be said for kind of building and growing something. So, kind of, so now you did that for about seven years mm-hmm. and then what kind of caused the transition after working for them for uh, that period of time? Uh, it's just, uh, there's a big aha moment when I went to the second company on my first day, I was sitting after, this is like three years after you know being in the U.S., uh, first two years, I was busy working. You know, the, the third year, I went because it was the same company, right? Malaysia company, US company, same culture, mm. same process. So I didn't really feel different. But the third year, when I went to another company in the US, which is, I've never been, it's a different company. My entire world, my entire life, I only worked in one company for 16, 17 years. And mm. now I'm in a new company, right? So when I went to that company, I talked to my, my boss came and sat down with me and he asked me, you know, how's life and all that. And he told me, well, you're going to be working here for another 16 years. Uh, because we have all the stock options. And I say, why is that 16 years? He, well, he said, uh, well, you have three kids and, you know, college is very expensive here, right? And, and I asked him how much, how expensive it is. 200, 300, when he said 200, 300,000 per, per kid, I was like, wow, really? <laughs> because mm. my engineering degree only costs uh, 5,000 US dollars for entire five years. Mm. Hey, that's Education. a great deal. Hey, absolutely. I, I'm, I mean, that's like unheard deal over here, right? Here's like what? 300,000, at least minimum 100,000 on on Mm. an in-state college, right? So so I didn't even know that colleges cost so much in the US when I came here. That was one aha moment. I said, wow, I cannot continue working my W2 job, Mm. right? Because W2 job, it is what it is. You have a limited amount of pay rise. Mm-hmm. You have a limited time and you have always have someone working above you. You're working for someone. So I said, okay, I need to have another job which can get me some other income as well on top of my W2 job, right? Mm-hmm. And and W2 job is like, okay, yeah, you have a base pay, but 
you know, they have this golden handcuff, right? Where they give you a lot of stocks, you know, in the next future years, right? Mm. They give you like five years, three years. So they, they want you to keep on staying with them. It's called a golden handcuff, right? So that you don't really leave, right? Because you all have, oh, my stock is going to invest. Oh, my stock going to invest. So you don't really leave, right? So. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the perpetual, hey, there, and, and I certainly I don't fault them for it. They're trying to say the best talent we're trying to keep on as long as possible. They have the institution all knowledge. They can get things done and do it well. And so there's certainly a motivation, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of always in that catch 22 to where saying, okay, in a little bit longer after these vests, I'm gone. And then they keep offering it. So you eventually just have to say, Hey, I want to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and here we go. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So you always, uh, I know I'm a bit, everybody's trapped in the W2 job, right? Uh, mm. And that is, uh, you know, I know that is existing. I needed that because I'm very new in the US. I mean, keep in mind, I was just only two or three years in the US mm-hmm. at that time. And I cannot leave my job and um, and go and try to do things on my own. So I said, I'm going to do something on my own, uh, on my spare time. So I was trying to do some software that I'm trying to do some web pages, to do some math tutoring. I had that idea every day I work late hours after work. Mm. Uh, tried to do that. At the end, I realized I'm not the best programmer out there. I mean, you need a big resources to do that. And I can't do this alone. I mean, I was not programming everything myself, but I was doing the concept and I had, I had offshore, you know, people from uh, overseas people who are trying to do programming for me. But it just takes so much of work, so much of resource to do a really good software, right? Uh, so after some time, I saw a lot of new software coming. I said, okay, I'm going to shut this down because this is not going to work. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not that good. Or I do not know that much of uh, resources or money to go and hire really good programmers to do it in-house. So I gave up on that. And after that, we tried to do stocks, mm. stocks trading. Well, I had that ego, how difficult stocks going to be. You know, if you're an engineer, you're probably really good at math. You can solve this algorithm, right? So I started reading all kind of book, you know, candlestick, you know, uh, line charts, all kind of analysis and try to put all that into a context. But at the end, I realized that stock is actually just playing with your fear and greed. <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's, you know, there is some skill involved, but even just reading what the tea leaves are, what's coming next, how the market's going to yeah. react, how other people are going to react, everything else. There's a lot more emotion and a lot more, you know, non-math type of things. That Non-math, yeah. You can, I mean, I mean, unless you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to say, well, I made money with stock, but my question to them is, did you make money with your skill or you were just lucky? Yeah. And I think there's a combination <laughs> of both. There's a lot of luck in, involved as well as, you know, some yeah, skill yeah, yeah. and it's hard to delineate out which is which. Yeah, and sometimes yeah, it's a, a yeah. combination of both. Yeah. Sides. I'm not saying stock is bad. Definitely not. But I'm just saying for my personality, because I like to look at my phone with the phone. Nowadays, you can look at every few seconds, every movement you can see it. Right. Mm. My personality was like, I just keep on looking at my phone and I lost all my peace in life. Right, you don't have a piece because stock is so volatile. I mean, I'm sure people are very good at stock when they do long-term trading, uh, and even if they do short-term trading, they're probably good at you know they they're probably good at something, right? But I don't know. I read uh, some article finally after losing some money on stock. I read that 98% of the individual investors never really make money on stocks, mm. and so, because you know all these investors, all these institutional guys play out the small, the small investors, right? So. Mm-hmm. Except for the GameStop issue that recently came. That was like, okay, now <laughs> I thought, okay, because every time I buy stock, you know, at nine o'clock you buy it. And then after that, 10, 10, 30, you start dropping like crazy. And I got panic, I sell. And 11, 30, start going back up again. And that happens consistently in all the stocks I buy. And I know, so I know mm. there's big institutional guys playing the, you know, the small guys out. 
Hmm. Right. So I gave up on stocks because uh, stocks you gave up on fast stocks. Fast. So now how did you so you're, you're kind of trying to say, hey, where am I going to land? I want to do my own thing. I, you know, I don't want to hit that glass ceiling to where I can only make so much and I can only have so much, you know, influence type of a thing. So how did you kind of land on what you were finally going to build or where you're going to put your yeah. time, money and effort and be successful? Absolutely. I mean, I, I met another engineer, engineering manager who said he's buying rentals. He's buying once a year. I said, what is that? Okay. So that's where I started looking at houses, right? You say buying a rental. Okay, I used to do some flips back in Malaysia. I mean, just one or two flips, not a lot. But I know real estate appreciates um, if you buy it right. And style. so he was saying he buys like one house a year. And when I did the math, okay, you can make like 8 9% on a normal house with, with the amortization, people pay down, the resident pay down, you get a good loan, 30-year fix. You know, you, well, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I can do this slowly, right? I can buy like 10 houses. So I say one house can make nine. Okay, I can buy 10 houses, right? But but I also had very small amount of money. I only had 50,000 to start with when I came here because I didn't have any IRA. I didn't have any 401k when I came here, right? And, mm. and um, you know, where I came from, you know, the, the pay was given was really good pay, but it was just nice for me to start. And every month, we just burn through all the money that we make in a W-2, right? Mm-hmm. So I only had like 50,000. So with 50,000, what can I do, right? Then I start researching. Then I... Then I found a way to buy a house really, really cheap. Even with 50000 you can buy like a few houses, right? So I used that method to buy these houses where you buy and you, re, you remodel and mm. you refinanced and you take out your money. So you can basically, you know, buy houses with very, very low down payment. Mm. So that was the method I found um, and uh, started buying single family houses. And now we are buying apartment complexes. After 13 houses, we went to apartment complexes. Mm. So you, in other words, you, you figured out, hey, okay, I've got, I, I think this is a good opportunity. I'm going to get into it. Don't have an exorbitant amount of savings or money I can just invest. So start out smaller or slower and figure out what you can do. Flip those and kind of built it up as you went along. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's a fair statement. That's a fair statement. Of course, you need to find a mentor to teach you that, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like anybody can do this. I'm not saying anybody can do this, but, you know, if you had a mentor, you can just have a shortcut because mm. I can just tell you, right? So I got a mentor and he taught me how to do single family uh, rental flips. And later on, we moved on to apartment complexes. Mm. So now so now you've got Achievement Investment Group. Is that kind of built on top of the commercial real estate? And kind of how did you get into investing for others or building an investment group? Or kind of how did that evolve? Well, I mean, Achieve Investment Group is just uh, is just a name when we started on a single family. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, once we hit like 13 houses, we said, okay, this is too small scale. And because on the loan side, uh, we can get like up to like 10 loans. And after that, you have to go to commercial loans. And, and it was too much work for single family. So we moved on to apartment complexes, buy, buying apartment complexes, which is much larger, but I, you know, I didn't have the money as well. So I had the single family houses, which I built 400,000 of equity, mm. but buying an apartment complex, you need a lot more than that, right? So then I realized about something called syndication, where you can syndicate money from a group of investors, mm. right? There are SEC guideline 2A, you know, 506B, 506C, there's different guidelines. And I used that guideline to raise money from uh, some of my friends and families to buy hmm. our first apartment complex. No, and I think that, you know, it, it's interesting how, how you, you know, going through building things and, and 
making it bigger, you know, takes a bit of time. It's always kind of the, everybody thinks it's the overnight success. Hey, you, you, oh, you had the money you invested in one house and now you're, you know, rich and you're a millionaire and you can retire because, you know, you just got lucky. But I think, you know, kind of almost antithesis or opposite to the stock market is there's, you know, there's some skill and work and, 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 and building involved and, and, flipping houses, so to speak, but all in real estate investing, but then it's also kind of a slow growth to really be able to get a, you know, a sizable portfolio and be able to actually have that income generated. So now as you kind of look towards, you know, a future forward looking a bit, kind of where do you see the next phase of your journey heading? Is it continuing to do more deals, bring on additional investment, bring out outside people, keep it more internal? How do you kind of see that going? Yeah, so right now we have like 2,000 units under our management, 10 properties, 10 large complexes, average 200 units per complex. So moving forward, what we are looking at is basically to go more, I mean, as we want to buy more because we want to focus on one asset class because all there's so much of nuances, right? I mean, so much of details, so much of you know, analysis, so much of algorithm to really make mm. sure that we get it right. But I want to slightly expand it to ground up construction as well, where we do, you know, building from ground up because an apartment complex has become so expensive that it makes sense to just build one, right? Rather than go and bidding and buy something very expensive, we rather just build one. So we're trying to go more into a ground up construction. We are trying to go more into affordable housing as well, mm. um, where we can do a, something called a low income housing tax credit. But we have been doing all market rate all the time, market rate housing, um, and we'll continue to do that. So yeah, keep on buying more deals, more efficient. We are high, we just hired a few really good corporate uh, staff to come and help us. Uh, one COO who just came in, we have an executive uh, assistant and we have analysts I just hired. And uh, with all these people that I've hired, I hope that we can keep that pipeline full of deal coming in, deal mm -hmm. being managed because we also manage our asset, right? So, so we want to keep on doing deals because there's so much of capital looking to place money in real mm -hmm. estate right now. And it's hard to find deal that makes sense. And um I just hire all these people so that we can keep on doing deals. So we want to grow and, uh, you know, keep on doing deals. No. And I, I think that sounds like an exciting place to be in. It's kind of the, Hey, we're going to, we're going to figure out how to expand our reach in additional markets, mm -hmm. or at least, you know, have additional opportunities and also just grow the business and make it even more successful. So absolutely, definitely makes absolutely. sense. So absolutely. Well, as we wrap towards the end of the podcast, I always ask two questions at the end of each, uh, each uh, podcast or each episode. So we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Worst business decision I made. Um, probably not getting educated before starting. Mm. Um, I think my first house. I mean, I didn't. I didn't eventually buy it because I. I, I supposed to get. I was supposed to meet up my, my my mentors the next week, but this week I said, okay, I was so rushing to go and buy deals, and I just put one deal under contract without knowing how to analyze it very well. And, uh, you know, that deal didn't do well. But mm. so make sure that you get educated before doing this kind of uh, big deals. And I think that that's a, it's a good, and whatever industry you're in, getting that education, that understanding. I mean, too often you think, oh, I'll be the exception or, oh, I'll go with my gut or, oh, I'll, just, you know, I'll learn along the way. But, you know, 
that oftentimes while it works on television and movies, when you get into reality, it's no, it's very seldom are you just able to wing it and just go by your gut and just try something. It's much better, I think, to do that education part, understand what you're doing, why you're doing, what are the risks, can you live with the risks, you know, what's the downside, what's the upside, and what is the industry, and kind of start to answer all those questions and it increases the likelihood of success. And yet it's so easy to, when you get into a deal or to get into an opportunity, to just want to get going and want to jump into it and you never do that, you know, that education education piece is oftentimes so critical well as now the second question i always ask is so um if you're now talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them uh i would say three things one is you know work hard second is be persistent right uh, third is do things differently from others right uh, mm. a lot of times people want to just do like what everybody else is doing uh, and that's just going to put you on a normal normal category right but you know if you look at things like you know where you do things differently from everyone else uh that makes you you know different from everyone else and there's a better chance of you breaking out uh, to reach your goal right mm. and uh be persistent yeah of course you have to be persistent that's you know that's the test of the mm. of the time of the game that's the name of the game right no matter how much you try you have to keep on trying different different stuff until you you know until you hit your goal so work hard is you know you have to overwork everyone else that's that's no no choice there because everybody is trying to come up in life or a lot of people coming in life and you mm. want to be you want to really break out um, you know you have to you know do the hard work no and i think that that's certainly a great piece of advice and something people should take take to heart mm-hmm. well as we wrap wrap up first of all just as a, a quick heads up for all the listeners we are doing the bonus question of your top intellectual property uh question that you have so stay tuned if you want to hear the answer to that but otherwise if you're uh, wrapping up listening to the podcast before they go what's the best way for them to reach out to you to they want to be an employee they want to be a they want to be an invest with you they want to mentor they want to be um a investor they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above what's the best way to reach out to you and connect up yeah, I mean, my website is achieveinvestmentgroup.com. Achieve is like achieving a goal, A-C-H-I-E-V-E, achieveinvestmentgroup.com. Uh, they can come and register on that website to be in touch with me. If they want to be a passive investor, invest with us. I have a lot of engineers, a lot of doctors, a lot of a lot of business people, a lot of real estate people investing with me because this is passive income because we do the main work and they mm. are the passive investors. Uh, on my website, there's a link called Invest With Us. Come and click there. There's a form. Fill up that form and you'll get access to my calendar. And uh, I would say, you know, you guys definitely should read up my book. It's a best-selling book in Amazon mm. and top 15 book by Jim Cramer, The Street, uh, for real estate investing. It's called Passive Investing in Real Estate. Uh, you can get it for free at PassiveInvestingInRealEstate.com. Mm. PassiveInvestingInRealEstate.com. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, connect up, find out more and use the different avenues that you mentioned. Well, as as we wrap up, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, um, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, sign up to be a, a guest on the podcast and uh, share your journey. If you're a listener, also one, make sure to click subscribe so you know when all the awesome episodes come out and two, leave us a review so new people can find us. Last but not least, if you ever need help with the strategy uh, or with strategy for your business, with patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com. 
So thank you again. And with that, we'll now transition over for all of the, all of you that are continuing to listen and want to hear James at top intellectual property question. Let uh, James flip the table a bit, ask me a question. So with that, what is your top question? Sure, sure. So, I mean, so like people like me, we are in real estate, right? So I'm not doing, uh, you know, silicon design or what, even though we were doing at some point, I was, that was my, my, my engineering job, right? So I know sure. there's a lot of IP protection that we always apply and all that, but coming mm-hmm. to business side where we have built a brand, right? Like we have mm-hmm. built a brand, like achieveinvestmentgroup.com, right? So, um, and uh, how do I protect my brand? Yeah, so real estate, so as a quick or 30-second summary, there are kind of three different parts of intellectual property. There's patents, trademarks, copyrights. Patents are going to be for inventions. Widgets, something that does something, which typically doesn't apply to real estate, although we do have a few real estate clients that have made software platforms or other ways to make something more efficient, to do something new. You know, you think of not, this our client, but, you know, an Airbnb, where that's in the real estate realm, but they certainly have a lot of technology and ways that they do that, that would fall under patents. But if you're saying, hey, we're a real estate firm, we're really just investing, we're looking for good deals, then that's typically going to fall more under trademarks, which is you mentioned are branding. So then the question is, is, you know, what is your brand worth? Is it one where really everything is word of mouth, where everything is just, you have a good reputation or people are coming to you, then your brand is, is, is important, but it's important for a different reason. But let's, you know, Really, you're going to look at and say, if somebody were to come along, knock off our brand, copy it or otherwise do something similar, is it going to hurt or affect our business? If the answer is yes, then you're going to say, okay, then we're wanting to protect our brand. And, you know, love them or hate them. One of the top real estate brands would have been Donald Trump, right? Or Trump, you know, Trump with all of his real estate, whether you agree with him or not, that was a lot of his value in his brand that he built his real estate company was based on the rep, you know, the, the Trump brand. And so that was where they leveraged it. So if you're saying, Hey, we're going to build a big real estate company and however you follow the political state or spectrum or anything else, you're going to say, we want to build a brand where people know it, where they invest in us. They know the quality of our real estate. They know the quality of our investments. Then you're going to protect the name with a trademark and so that's where you're really a lot of your value is is because one is the people you hire the deals that you can find and then they the white reason people trust with you trust you is because of your brand and that would fall into trademark so that's typically when you get into real estate unless you have the technology side or something it's an airbnb or something that's driver or analytics or something that's going to be worthwhile otherwise you're going to typically protect or go into to branding which would be more into trademarks got it got it so if if I if if let's say my brand is trademark, or right? let's say achieve investment group is trademark, and one day I find someone using that, mm-hmm. uh, how what do I do? How do how do I approach them? Tell them gently, you know, you should stop it, or do I you know do I get people like you to send them some letter? Yeah, so. And when you define gently, that's probably a good way because there's different, you can be very aggressive. Somebody you feel infringes your trademark, you can just simply go out and file a lawsuit. You don't have to do a cease and desist. You don't have to reach out to them. You can just file a lawsuit. One day they get those papers and then you both show up in court and duke it out type of a thing. Do you want to take a step back at you and saying, hey, I'm not here to file suits. I don't want to, you know, go through that time and expense unnecessarily. One is you can always reach out to them and they may not be aware of you or they may be a small individual or they may just be getting started and they may you may be able to find an agreement to whether they stop using it or they pay you a licensing fee or something of that nature. If after you reach out to them, they typically kind of blow you off or they say, no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to listen to you. 
then you have to decide how much you want to ratchet up. And you, a lot of times that's, you know, engage a law firm, you send a cease and desist letter, you put a more on notice, put a little bit more teeth behind it and let them know you're serious. And then you give them a period of time to decide whether or not they want to respond to the cease and desist. They don't aren't le- legally obligated to, but a lot of times they're saying, hey, they've engaged a law firm. I can see where this is headed. Let's try and I'll take this more seriously. If they blow that off, then that is where you have to file the lawsuit. You have to say, okay, how much is my brand worth? How much are they, you know, hurting my brand? In the sense of saying, hey, they're a small, tiny individual. They're not hurting my brand very much at all. And it's probably going to cost me more to go to lawsuit than it is to just let them go. Then you may say from a business perspective, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to invest. On the other hand, you may say, hey, we are seeing a, a lot of customers that are getting confused or going to their brand because they think it's us or anything of that nature. Then you're going to go and you're going to file a lawsuit. You're going to say, hey, this is costing us tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in lost business. Then you're going to have to say it's worthwhile to invest in getting them to stop using it. So those are kind of your few options, everything from nicely reaching out to them all the way to lawsuits and kind of a cease and desist letters in between. Okay. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> So let's say on domain name, right? Let's say we have a .com and someone take the same name, put a .io or .net or what, right? So Mm. that can be confusing for a lot of investors, right? I mean, a lot of people, right? So how do you deal with that? Yeah, domain names are, they're a bit of still the Wild West. They're starting to get some case law behind it or some understanding. I mean, there isn't anything if you don't go get, and there's so many now that you can do, whether it's .dot, you know, dot io dot edu dot gov dot you know whatever dot a whole bunch of things and so you know typically when you get in your domain name you're just saying uh, i don't want to spend all the money or it doesn't make sense to try and get everything possible because even if you got all the last dot com dot whatever then they change one little spelling in it and then it starts all over or they drop one word off or they add one word so it's kind of always that you know popping up and so when a lot of times when you get in, into domain names if it's simply just a domain name and they're doing nothing else in their branding, nothing else to confuse, you know, nothing else to use your brand, nothing else to use the same words or anything else, it's typically going to be difficult to just simply stop them from using the domain name other than to just do, be much better at SEO and be able to just simply outrank them such that when people search for them, they never find, you know, their competitor is so far down the list that there's never confusion. Now, if they get the domain name and they start using that domain name and it is confusingly similar to yours, so now they have the domain, but all of their material on their website and everything else is using your brand or similar to your brand, then you can still infringe on trademark. So that's generally, if it's only the domain name, you probably have, there are some avenues, but it gets fairly more complex and, and more complicated. You're better just to compete with them on SEO and to outrank them. But as soon as they start using any of the other branding stuff within their website material or anything else, that's when you can kind of engage them or engage them further. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, James, I appreciate the intellectual property questions. It's always fun to hear what other questions people have and uh, have the table turned a bit and you guys get asked me questions. So appreciate coming on the podcast. It's been a a great time and been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Absolutely. Thanks, Devin. And I hope really, I really hope I add uh, value to your audience and listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely.